You know, the only word that comes to my mind after all of that was wow. Uh, Blake, thank you. Beautiful, beautiful song there. Uh, John Michael, thank you for leading the search team and all the work that y'all did in bringing Molly Kate our way. We're excited about her being here on staff. And boy, we're looking forward to great things. We've got just, just a wonderful staff here that all fill their various gaps and do a great job. And all I, got, all I can say is I'm just such, so proud uh, to be a part of a staff like this. Uh, let me remind you that Grace Marriage will be moving into its second year this year. If you'd like to get involved in Grace Marriage, registration goes through next week. There's a table back here. You can see John Micah. Last year, June and I did not register for Grace Marriage. We'd been married 44 years. I figured at that point, if we didn't have it down, we were in trouble. I was wrong. John, John said, could you just come to the first one so that you can at least tell the church what it's like? I said, sure. And so June and I attended the first one. And at the, at the end of it, I told June, I said, we're signing up. This is awesome. June learned so much. <laughs> I'm serious. It helped. And now it was a little strange. You sat around a table with other couples and I'd be sitting there and we'd be talking about, you know, how long we had been married. And, and every time June and I had been married longer than any of the other people at the table had been alive. I mean, we've been married 44 years and it was like, okay, wow, yeah, 10 years. Oh, good. Glad, you, you know. But anyway, sign up for Grace Marriage. It is wonderful. All right. We're launching a new series, and I'm excited about it. It's simply called Journey Life, and, and its intention is to look at the lives of people who have journeyed with God in the past and how God worked in their lives in the midst of their weaknesses, in the midst of their sins. Scott, you know, talked about the power of Jesus' blood to cover us. Well, God was working in the lives of people in the Old Testament, looking forward to the blood of Christ covering them when he finally came to Calvary. But, but we're going to be looking at how they struggled in their lives, the same way we struggle in our lives, and what God did in order to continue them in the journey. And today we begin with our first character, which is Abraham, or as he was known ahead of time, Abram. And, and we're going to be looking for about the next four or five weeks at this man who played such an important role in, in not only the life of Israel, but the life of Christianity, and in mine and your lives as well. One of my favorite verses about Abraham, of all places, comes out of John's Gospel. John's having an argument with some of the Jewish leaders. He's in Jerusalem. And one of the big questions is, who is our father? And Jesus, of course, is referring to God as his father. The Jewish leaders begin to refer to Abraham as their father, and they get into this debate. And so Jesus makes a point that just kind of blew them out of the water. But, boy, I think it's just absolutely gorgeous coming out of the season we just came out of. Notice what Jesus said to them. Your father, Abraham, your father, you know, Jesus, Jesus is going to make a point here big time. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. In other words, God had made a promise to Abraham that one day through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Abraham, 
I mean, he was excited. He rejoiced at seeing that day come. And then look at what he says. He saw it. And he was glad. Abraham witnessed the incarnation of Jesus. And like the angels who celebrated in front of the shepherds, Abraham up in heaven was celebrating as well. People oftentimes ask me, Les, do we have any consciousness when we're dead? I mean, do we know who we are? Do we know where we're at? Do we know what's going on? And Jesus said, Abraham did. Abraham was so excited about seeing when finally that promise would be fulfilled. And when he saw it, he rejoiced. The Jewish leaders looked at him and said, you're not even 50 years yet. And you have seen Abraham? And then Jesus said something very, very important. He says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And and if you go back to the earliest chapters in Exodus, you'll remember that when, when Moses came before God in the burning bush, and he says, who are you? When they ask what your name is, what am I supposed to tell them? And God said, you tell them that I am has sent you. And so when Jesus said this, he said before Abraham was even born, I am. That is, he is God in the flesh. And the text says that they picked up stones instantly to try and kill him. And he was able to slip away from them. Well, we read about Abraham beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 11. It begins with these words. This is the account of Terah's family. Kind of throws you off right off the bat. This is the account of Terah's family. Now I want you to notice that phrase there. This is the account. This is the genealogy. This is the way that the book of Genesis introduces new family lines. I mean, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. This is the generations of the heavens and the earth. And then you have the generations of Adam. Then you have the generations of Seth. And you have the generations of Noah. And it just goes right on down the line. And so we come now to the generations, ten times this says this in the book of Genesis, of Terah's family. Interesting, he doesn't say Abraham's family. But he goes with Abraham's father, Terah. So remember that name, Terah. And then it says, Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Three boys, okay? And, And these three boys are all going to play some fascinating roles. But it's Abram, right there at the very beginning, that firstborn, that's so important. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. And so they began by saying, let me tell you some sad news, first of all. Abram's younger brother, he passes away. Haran passes away. While they're still living in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, Ur of the Chaldeans is way down in southeastern Iraq today. Okay, you'll notice there you've got the Euphrates River. It's on the banks of the Euphrates right before it goes into the Persian Gulf. It was one of the earliest civilization centers, you know, after the flood. And so Abram was Chaldean, okay? He's he's born in Ur of the Chaldees, him and his two brothers and his father Terah. The text goes on. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. All right, spoiler. If you want to wait, you need to stop up your ears to a later lesson on this. But if you don't, well, actually, next week's. Sarai is Abram's half-sister. In other words, Terah had married multiple wives. We don't know if there were two, three. We don't know how many. But Abram ends up marrying his half-sister. So y'all join me in saying, ooh, 
Okay, right? I mean, that just kind of freaks you out. Notice the next thing. It says, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran. In other words, his brother Nahor marries his niece. You would think these folks are from Mississippi, right? But they're not. They're from Ur. I mean, they're marrying relatives. And then it goes on and it says, Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Very important preview of what's coming. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son uh, Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, H-A-R-R-A-N, they settled there, which is way up in the northwest of Ur. So here's Ur way down here in southern Iraq. You go way up right on the basically Iraq-Syria uh, border, and you've got Haran up there, and they're going to basically come around intending to go to Canaan. But notice, but they stopped there. And you've got to ask yourself, why? What's going on? Why did they stop in Haran? We're going to see why here in just a moment. And then we get to the most important part. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. If you've not marked that in your Bible, you need to highlight it. You need to write notes in the side. This is the first most important covenant. You had a covenant with Noah, but boy, this covenant is huge. As God enters into an unconditional covenant with Abram, that still blesses us 4,000 years later. We are still the recipients of this covenant. And he begins with these words. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household. In other words, Abram, it's time to take a journey. It's time for you to join me on a journey. But the first thing right off the bat that we see is for Abraham, that journey meant breaking with his past. In other words, you've got to leave some things. And and we talk here about joining the journey. Joining the journey with God always means about breaking from certain things from the past. It does for all of us. I mean, all of us have to make some decisions. If we're going to walk with God, we can't walk with other things. Notice the things that Genesis says he needs to leave, right off the bat. He says, number one, you need to leave your country. In other words, you need to leave your city. You need to leave that area there in in southeastern Iraq, modern-day Iraq. You need to leave it right off the bat. And one of the things that you find in the Bible, all the way through the Bible, is that we live in a world that is corrupt. We live in a world of nations, a world of countries. And listen to me very carefully. Don't don't get mad at me for saying this, okay? Because it's what the Bible teaches. All of these nations are in rebellion against God. Now, that's not to say that some nations like America don't have a lot of Christian values built into the foundation. I understand that. But when people say that America is a Christian nation, no, it's not. The only Christian nation there is, is the people of God. I mean, the Bible talks about that we are a holy nation, and the only holy nation, okay? We need to understand that, and that's made up of people from all over the world. And can we be honest about it? I mean, how many of us would say that the America of the day was the America of our childhood? I mean, can you say that? I can't. 
I mean, can we say that America, as far as morality and as far as our culture is concerned, is better today? I mean, we we live in a world that's corrupt. It's always been that way. One of the things you find about Abram is that when he finally moves over to Canaan, Sodom is uh, Sodom. Uh, Lot, his nephew, goes with him. And and when they get there, they get into some difficulties, and so they they separate because their flocks had gotten so large. And Abram lived in the land of Canaan, up in what we would call today the hill country of Judea, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, the reason that's important is because of the very next verse. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Yeah, they'd gotten out of Ur. But it didn't take Lot long before he was right back in Sodom. In fact, in a few chapters, it says that he had moved into Sodom. I mean, he had bought a house in Sodom. And it was so wicked that God said, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to wipe it from the face of the earth. One of the first things that we see God saying to Abram is that you've got to get out of your culture. You've got to look at the culture you live in and you've got to do some reckoning with who you are and the way the culture operates. And brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully. Never in my lifetime has it been more important for Christians to take a stand for what's right. And we've got to be careful that we don't take what is right and think that's a political movement. I mean, politics are always going to be corrupt. That's the way nations work. That's the way countries work. But Christians, we we literally stand as a counterculture to the world. And we've got to take that seriously. We can't be like Lot and simply say, well, I'll follow God, but at the same time, I'm going to move into Sodom. One of the biggest challenges prisoners have, and many of you know I work at River Bend uh, Maximum Security Prison as a mentor, And one of the things we're trying to do is prepare prisoners who have been prisoners sometimes for 20, 30, 40 years to get back into society. Do you know what the number one sign that a prisoner is going to make it or not make it is? Number one sign. Number one sign is, does he move back to his old neighborhood? That's number one sign. I mean, we have halfway houses here in Nashville. We have a halfway house in, in Memphis. We're trying to add T-POM, Tennessee Prison Outreach Ministry, is trying to build more re-entry centers uh, throughout the state. And the first thing we know is that if you're from Memphis, we need to put you in the halfway house here in Nashville. Otherwise, you're right back with your old friends, your old associates, and your old way of living. I mean, we all know that who work in the prison system. That's the same thing that God is saying to Abram. You can't stay where you're at. James chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Listen, I'm glad I was born in America. I'm glad I was born where I was born. I'm glad my family was kind of a middle-class family. There are so many blessings that God has showered upon us as a country. There's no doubt about that. But y'all, our hope is in Jesus Christ. And that's where we've got to put it. Number two, you've got to leave your people. Your people means your friendship. 
those around you, those closer to you than the culture you're in. Proverbs 13, one who walks with the wise becomes wise, but whoever keeps company with fools only hurts himself. Can I ask you a question? Will you be honest? (laughs) Thank you, Pete. I appreciate it. At least we got one. Do you wish you'd had different friends when you were in high school? Now, some of us will say no. I, I, I had good friends, and for that I'm grateful. But at the same time, I saw those who chose poorly, and they suffered as a result of it. I mean, when you went to college, do you wish you'd had different friends? In my case, some, yeah. Others, no. I had great friends. And then, of course, as you make friends in the community. Once again, let me ask you a question. Are your friends pulling you up, or are they bringing you down? And, of course, a lot has to depend, are they people of faith? Are they people on a journey with God? And that was the first thing that God is saying to Abraham is, listen, you've got to get away from those people who are pulling you down. First Corinthians, and I love this one out of the voice. I mean, he says, don't be so naive. There's another saying you know well, bad company corrupts good habits. We all know that. By the way, let me just say a word to our parents. Oftentimes, I know as parents, we're like, man, if I could just choose my my kids' friends. You know you have more power over that than you realize. I mean, when people say, well, you you know, you can't choose your kids' friends. June and I, we, we, we worked hard at it. And you say, how? First of all, guess who we had over our house all the time? We had, we had church members. We had people that went to church with us. We had people who had kids the same age as our kids. I mean, now, you say, well, you can't control all it. No, you can't. Well, boy, it makes a big difference, I want to tell you. And then we chose where our kids, you know, would go to school. We, we, we chose what activities they would be involved in. I mean, we were constantly trying to put our kids with other kids. And, and let me tell you, it made a world of difference. You have more power than you realize, parents. Don't give it up. You can, you can help your kids make better decisions. I know in the end, they've got to make them. But I'm saying we have more power than we realize. And then number three, you've got to leave your father's household. And let me tell you, this is the hardest one. The hardest one that any of us have is making a decision to follow God that's going to put us at odds with mom and dad or grandmother and granddaddy or, you know, aunts and, you know, I mean, it just puts us at odds. And that was, I think, probably the hardest decision Abram made because when you look at the story, Genesis eleven thirty one, 31, Terah takes his family. Terah moves them up to Haran. Now, that's from Ur. Abraham had already received the call. God had already said to him, leave your family. But Abraham is struggling with it. And so he goes with his father up to Haran and they settle there. And it's not until his dad dies. And of course, as I said a while ago, why did they move there? If you go back to Acts chapter 7, Stephen is giving a sermon before the Sanhedrin. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. That's how we know when he received the call. Leave your country, your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Why did he need to leave his father, Terah? If you go to the end of the book of Joshua, 
Joshua tells us. Well, God tells us. Look at what God said to Israel. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord God says. Okay, this is God's words, not Joshua's. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. You see, Terah and Nahor did not worship the God that Abraham worshipped. And of course, it begs the question, did, I mean, did Abram worship the gods they worshipped? We don't know. I don't know why God chose Abram. Scripture doesn't tell us. If, if I was guessing, I would say because God could read his heart. God knew that the here was someone special. But right off the bat, God says, you've got to get away from your family. And, and the reason is because if you study just the, the, the pagan beliefs of both Ur and Haran, both of them were centers of, uh, centers of moon worship. They worshiped the moon god. And so most likely, that's what Terah worshipped. And the first thing that God said is, you've got to get away from your dad. Now, I know how much we love our parents. And oftentimes, we're going to follow them wherever they go. I mean, one of my best commercials is the commercial of how do you know when you're turning into your parents. I think those commercials are hilarious, you know. And yet, at the same time, I think that we have got to be people who teach our children, listen, mom and dad's not the final authority. God is. We've got to instill within our children, and let me tell you, that's difficult. I mean, obviously, I like to think that I've got it pretty right. And when my boys disagree with me, I'm thinking they've got it pretty wrong, right? And yet at the same time, I have to have the belief that June and I have instilled within them a loyalty more important to God than to us. And brethren, if we can't do that, we've not raised them the way we need to raise them. I mean, they've got to know that, that if they need to make a decision to break with family, they can do it. Paul struggled with it. I mean, Paul went down to Jerusalem, studied under Gamaliel, the greatest... I mean, one of the greatest rabbis of the first century, president of the Sanhedrin, second most powerful person in all of Judea religiously. And then, and then Paul is called by Jesus, and he has to make a break. But he just didn't break from, from his teacher. N.T. Wright, in, in his biography of Paul, talks about when Paul finally had spent three years with Jesus in Arabia, going back to Jerusalem, had been rejected there in Jerusalem because people wanted to kill him. He went back, all the way back to his hometown of Tarsus. And there's ten years that just disappear. We don't know what he did. And N.T. Wright speculates, and it's speculation, but I think it's right. He thinks he went back to try and convert his family. And the fact that Paul never mentions his mom and dad as being believers. He had some relatives that, that it worked on. But he never mentions mom and dad. And N.T. Wright argues in his biography when Paul said, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in the heart, for I could wish that I myself was cursed, cut off for Christ, for the sake of my people. N.T. Wright says, I think he had faces he was looking at. Faces of loved ones who couldn't say yes to Jesus. And therefore they said no to Paul. What do you need to leave? 
in your relationship with God, what do you need to leave? Romans 10, verse 2, Paul says, I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but they weren't thinking right. Their knowledge was not where it needed to be. And so God said to Abram, I need you to go to a city, go to a land. I need you to go to a place I'll show you. And what I love about that is that God had a plan for Abram. And let me just mention, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me. Genesis 12, 2 and 3, he gets to the end, uh, it gets to the very heart of this, of this uh, covenant. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you and I'll make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Incredible plan. Now, that plan is not my plan. It's not your plan. I mean, I don't know that God's going to make any of us into a great nation. I, I don't know he's going to bless all the nations of the earth through any one individual. But there is a part of that that we can be. That part that says you will be a blessing. Literally in the Hebrew, it's an imperative. It's not you will be. It is be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, and because I bless you, you be a blessing. And if there is a message that Abraham speaks to all of us is that when we follow Jesus, he's calling us, be a blessing. All of us can do that. Now, you may be thinking, but Les, I don't even know where to start. Let me give you just a little suggestion right fast. One of of my favorite books is a book called The Purpose Driven Life, written many, many years ago by Rick Warren, a preacher from the Saddleback Church out in California. And, And in that book... He talks about us serving God. How do, we, how do we know how to serve God? And he developed a beautiful anacronym. I love it. He uses the word shape, S-H-A-P-E. And he says, if you want to know how to be a blessing, how to serve others, how to serve your community, then look at these characteristics right here. S in the word shape, what's your spiritual gift? Are gifts. I mean, let's face it, not all of us are meant to lead singing. Blake, I'm glad you you were. I mean, have you ever had someone got up and they started leading the song and you're like, okay, sit down. (laughs) I mean, I have. I've I've seen us have song leading classes and you're like, no, no, God has, that's not their spiritual gift. I mean, God gifts all of us differently. What's your spiritual gift? Number two, in the word shape, where's your heart? Where's your passion? There's a lot of things I can't do. And there's a lot of things I don't want to do. But the one thing I've always wanted to do was preach and teach. That's my love. I mean, I tell people that when I am preaching or teaching, I don't care which one, I'm in my zone. Now, your zone may be grieving. Your zone may be teaching small children. Your, your, your zone may be writing cards to people. Man, June and I get cards all the time from people that their spiritual gift is the gift of encouragement through cards. And boy, what a difference that makes. But where's your heart? Where's your passion? Number three in the word shape, and, and where are your abilities? I mean, God's built all of us different, Right? Do y'all know that there's a, a boy in high school down in Florida? I think he's either a junior or senior. I think he's a senior, and he's fixing to go off to college. He is seven foot, seven and three quarters inches. Anybody want to guess what he's going to do in college? Right? 
You know, I, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I'm thinking about playing sports. He said, you better start preaching. Okay? I mean, some of our natural abilities tell us where we need to go. And what are your abilities? Number four in the word shape. And what's your personality? Brian Shepard can sit down with you in just a heartbeat and talk about how that we all have different personalities. And our personalities, in many ways, help point us in the direction that we can both work as far as taking care of our family and serve as far as helping serve the kingdom of God. And then the last, the E, is experiences. My life's experiences are not yours. Your life's experiences may not match with some others. But you know, in a room this big with this many people, all of us have experiences that can bless just about everyone. What's your shape? And let me remind you of what Paul said. But in fact, God has blessed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. That's what John said. I mean, this group prayed. I mean, they searched. Molly Kate inquired, and, and we believe. We believe that God has sent her here. And for that, we say thank you to God. And that's true of all of us. God places us, if we'll just let him, where he wants us to be. And so let me finish the lesson very simply. Who are you going to bless this week? Be a blessing. If I can help you, we have men who have name tags that says elders. There are elders or shepherds. They'll be around in both foyers. If you have a need, whether it's to join the journey with Jesus initially or prayers to help walk in the journey better, we're here to serve you. Let us know how we can right now as we stand and sing.